Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. Now we're going to shift into talking about successful programs. And you had the opportunity to observe and be involved with many successful programs at UCLA. Um, were there any common themes you noticed? Uh, common themes. Uh, yeah, I think in, in a nutshell, you know, coaches who were, were passionate and driven, who had a vision, could clearly articulate that vision, uh, were aligned with the goals of the department, uh, that could establish a winning culture, uh, which at UCLA, I mean, our focus was always, quote, being the very best that they could possibly be, uh, you know, Coach Wooden adage. And then, and then demonstrating, uh, I feel, a level of consistency in their core values and the expectations of themselves and of the program around them, their coaches, their staff, their student athletes. And, you know, I, I believe in a lot of respects, there, there's an art uh, to maintaining all that I just described and still be able to adapt and adjust to the changes that uh, have occurred in college athletics and society over the years. And more significantly within the last five years, if you will, you know, you guys may have heard that uh, the old adage that the skills of the average worker become obsolete at least five times during their working career, mm. meaning that during a 30 or 40 year work span, you know, an individual is going to need to adapt to changes, sometimes drastic changes in the workplace, technology, rules and regulations, societal, societal norms, any number of things. And um, obviously, being that, uh, that, that you come from coaching backgrounds and your coaches for athletics, the role of the coach has really changed. And the accountability to any number of things uh, is considerably greater than um, uh, then you look, uh, then when you look back at, at what it was like uh, many years ago, um, those changes in our enterprise that have impacted our business and will soon impact college athletics are, are significant. You know, you look at a few years back, it was all about the APR and the, and, and, uh, and what that meant from an academic standpoint in an institution. Now you're looking at name, image, and likeness. You're looking at a change in transfer rules. Um, you know, some, in some universities have to be concerned about the early uh, departures of athletes to the pro ranks. Uh, everyone's dealing with mental health issues. Everyone's dealing with social media issues. Uh, everyone's dealing with diversity and inclusion issues. Um, and the list goes on and on and on. And, you know, those outstanding coaches uh, that, uh, as I said earlier, are, those are the ones that are able to maintain consistency while still being able to adapt to all of these changes. And it's not easy, you know. Uh, and that's why I think having an alignment of vision with the athletic administration comes into play. I mean, bottom line is it takes a village to make it work. Uh, and to maintain the consistency that one uh, that one seeks in order to uh, in order to build and maintain that successful program, and you got to have all hands on deck. Uh, you can't do it alone. Uh, you can't do it in a vacuum. And uh, I think most successful coaches recognize that. Yeah, I think hopefully all of us have improved at adapting uh, through COVID nineteen. So uh, we get to use that skill a lot with some of the challenges you talked about. Uh, so 
with uh, all the college coaches, you know, get to take on, you mentioned some of them, I guess, could you help us prioritize? Like if you were, you know, sitting down with a coach, um, you know, here, here's where you should put your attention. I mean, there's things like recruiting, culture, X's and O's, fundraising, marketing. I mean, you, you mentioned others with, um, you know, mental, what, uh, mental health and, and so on. So I guess, where would you uh, kind of rank some of those things? Well, let's see. You said recruiting. You said X's and O's. Uh, what were the other things you said there? Uh, culture, fundraising. I'm sure I'm missing a lot. Marketing. Um, I mean, even yeah. like, um, you know, overseeing your, your staff, you know, your strength coaches and your, um, you know, your assistant coaches. There's all that. Yeah. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, everything that you've indicated is, uh, is, is, is critical is important but um, for me I think it the most important aspect of all of that that you indicated is is establishing uh, establishing uh, the culture um, and, 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 I, and I say that uh, because you know obviously recruiting is the lifeblood of any sports program as I indicated one needs to have you know the coaching acumen and the team of coaches that can get the best out of their talent around them. Fundraising is important in some, in some places, um, other places more than others. Uh, community engagement, external relations, however that uh, is defined for any program is critical. But um, again, to me, the most important aspect of building a successful program for the long term, for the long haul, uh, as John Maxwell put it, you know, culture beats vision for lunch every time. You know, a coach needs to establish a winning culture and maintain consistency with it. Everything else is built around that. Um, and you can't, you can't deviate from that. Um, again, going, going back to uh, the pyramid of success and what Coach John Wooden built, um, you look at those building blocks and you look at the consistency and in um, his ability to, to run his program. Um, and never deviating from what was important to him. Uh, and uh, obviously the, the results were pretty apparent. Um, I mean, the answer might be culture here too, but from an administrator's perspective, is there any other low hanging fruit that coaches just don't pay enough attention to or put enough effort into that would make their programs successful? Ah, that's a good question. Low hanging fruit. You know, one of the things that has always been of concern to me. And again, this goes back to, this goes back to uh, coach Woodman and his, his philosophy, if you will. Um, you know, he, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, but he talked about the importance of, of, of dignity and, and, and respect uh, for, uh, for other individuals. And, um, you know, coaches are very busy trying to build their programs and, and trying to manage um, you know, all of the difficult aspects that come with, um, with managing uh, a program, with dealing with student athletes, uh, dealing with uh, coaches and NCA regulations and all those kinds of things. And I think sometimes there is the, um, not the reluctance, but they're missing on this, what I think is a very important point. point. And I never forgot that personally, it was important for me to make certain that everyone in our, our department, to the extent that I could, felt valued at every level. It doesn't matter what their position was, whether they were full-time, part-time, 
you know, a long time season employee, an intern, you know, I always felt that everyone needs to be valued and because they all have pride in what they do, you know, it's their livelihood. And, and for many, it's what puts food on the table for them. And I, I feel that many coaches often fail to recognize uh, recognize this, the importance of expressing appreciation for what others do for them. Uh, sure, it's their job and, it, and, and they are there to support the coaches and those student athletes. But um, to demonstrate to those individuals that don't typically get the accolades that are generally on the sidelines, but sidelines to the to the public, but front and center with all the student athletes and with the members of the coaching staff. I think it's important, especially as it relates to support staff who work hard to do everything that they can to try to make those programs successful, um, that a coach should recognize and his student athletes or her student athletes should recognize those individuals that are there pitching for them uh, and, um, and trying to make things uh, best for for, for all concerned. And it's not always perfect. You know, things happen for sure um, that, that, that don't always, they don't always pan out the way a coach may want, whatever the case may be. But um, uh, I, I just found that, that uh, demonstrations of appreciation can go a long way to building morale, to building uh, a, a team atmosphere, uh, to have everyone aligned with, um, with the mission of, of the program and with the mission of that particular coach. Um, and again, it's, it, it doesn't have to be anything, anything great. It could be as simple as uh, thank yous every once in a while. And I just think coaches miss the opportunity. Uh, not all coaches, of course, but I think many coaches miss the opportunity to do that. Uh, and they should be a little more mindful of that. That's a great message. And if, it has gotten to the point where they, you know, they haven't been maybe recognized of that. And there is some conflict between the team and the coach. And there's some drama, I guess, to that point. Um, how do you recommend coaches handle those kind of inter-team problems? And I guess, how have successful teams in the past that you've seen rebounded from those kinds of issues? Wow. I mean, that's a, that's a tough question because of the issues that can create a conflict within a program are endless, as mm -hmm. you can imagine. Um, you know, one can point to poor, poor culture in a program, uh, but that's not always the case. One can point fingers at a head coach, but that's not always the case. Um, you know, I think as administrators and sports supervisors, I think, you know, they need to be constantly vigilant about what's happening in a program. You know, is the communication solid? Is the culture consistent? And is it of the right fabric? Um, you know, so many things can... Uh, can upset the apple cart in, in a program and it could come both internally and externally. Uh, and I believe if you're not on top of it, it can certainly blow up and result in big problems for the coach, the department, and sometimes even the campus. So the ability uh, to see things bubbling up prior to them getting out of hand is important. And administrators often look uh, to coaches and support staff to help you know, provide that gauge. Um, Obviously, in that manner, you can get out in front of things and hopefully address them before they get out of hand and become a bigger issue. But uh, sometimes the program's in trouble and sometimes the coach is not even aware of it or, or, or even the reason for it. And, um, you know, and sometimes 
the reason could fall again in a number of areas, assistant coaches, support staff, whatever the case may be. Uh, approaches on how to handle issues like this, obviously, Billy varies as a result of one determining what the root of the problem is. Sometimes these issues can be handled within the infrastructure of the athletic department. Others might require um, intervention from professionals outside of the department or even off campus. Uh, and certainly at UCLA over the years, the, the types of issues have been, you know, have been all over the map. And so we've exhausted every resource in order to help with uh, the various issues in those programs. But um, we spent a lot of time uh, on education with coaches, bringing in expert speakers, both from within the campus and, and outside, and to help to build, um, uh, to build good relationships, good communication skills uh, between staff members and between uh, coaches, staff members, and student athletes, between student athletes and student athletes, I mean, it's a constant, constant process of educating uh, your, uh, you know, the, those uh, under your auspices so that to the extent possible, you mitigate and prevent these things from, from occurring. Uh, again, they invariably do. And when they, and when they do, you certainly have to take the right steps to, uh, to remedy them. Cool. And what, what are some of the signals that uh, we as coaches can maybe look out for that our program is heading in the wrong direction? Uh, wow. Let me count the ways, <laughs> you know, the results are the results just in a general sense are an obvious indicator that things aren't necessarily where you want them to be. However, yeah. if you're building a program, for example, that doesn't always necessarily signal a red flag, you know, I, I guess perhaps the best way to ascertain that things aren't going well is to take the pulse of the stakeholders you know, close to your program, your student athletes, your staff, assistant coaches, um, they can often point out those blind spots. Uh, if they're honest with a coach, if a coach is willing to listen, a uh, sports supervisor can also play that role. And, you know, I, I cited the word blind spots because, you know, I, I look at, uh, you know, the experiences that I personally had over, over the years. Uh, you know, blind spots are a conundrum because you don't know you have them. So it's important that you have someone close to you who cares for you and has your best interests at heart be honest with you when they see trouble looking ahead or if, if you're making decisions that don't seem to be going in the right direction or you know what, whatever, whatever the case may be, you need to have that individual um, you know, be there to, uh, to um, sort of correct the path or to at least convey that you might be getting off track. Um, and for me, obviously my wife at home is that person that points out my blind spots, but I had individuals in my senior administration that I made certain would, uh, would not be reluctant to convey what they felt, um, relative to, you know, how I was leading the program or whatever the case may be. And it was always helpful. Uh, I relied so much on the expertise of those individuals that were around me, um, you know, as, as the head of an organization, once you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're in trouble. And I always felt that uh, I needed to bring in individuals that were certainly smarter than me. I knew and I had to know enough to be dangerous in every aspect of uh, college athletic administration, but I brought in experts and I brought in uh, individuals that had, um, 
um, you know, all the right, uh, all the right stuff in terms of, uh, in terms of their values, uh, in terms of their personal philosophies and, and, and how that they align with mine. Uh, and then we attacked each issue as a team. And I think coaches uh, need to be able to do the same way and feel comfortable that those individuals that are working closely with them can play that role. And I think the bottom line, if, if the program's not built in a solid, solid foundation, if the culture is not right, I mean, things are going to rear its ugly head at some point. And again, recognizing these things early on uh, can perhaps give you an opportunity to right the ship before it gets out of hand. So kind of turning back to successful programs, uh, talk a little bit about Coach Wooden while we had you here. I wrote here, I wrote arguably the best coach, college coach of all time, but I don't know who's arguing that. He's the best college coach of all time, <laughs> the best coach of all time. Um, so yeah, just curious. I know you got to spend time with him. Just kind of what stood out in your, your uh, observing of him and conversations and things you, you learned from him. Well, you know, I, one of the greatest perks that an athletic director could ever have uh, was never written in my particular contract. And that was the privilege for the first eight years of my tenure at UCLA to have regular, regular time with Coach Wooden, you know, whether it was over breakfast or lunch at his home, at games, uh, meets, at Poly. Uh, you know, I would always seek his counsel and try to absorb his wisdom. Um, I would go to his home uh, in Encino, you know, his, his condo on Margate, if you will. Uh, and that was sort of like sanctuary for me. It was, it was like uh, going to the Dalai Lama. It was for enlightenment. You know, and, and what was interesting about Coach is we never talked about basketball in all those eight years, ever. Uh, he, frankly, always wanted to talk about baseball, which, uh, you know, he'll tell you was his favorite sport. And uh, I mean, I go back to when I was playing baseball at UCLA in the early 70s. After practice, Coach Wooden would go over to uh, Sawtelle Field, which is now Jackie Robinson Stadium, and he he put himself up in the bleachers and he'd watch us watch us practice. He was a good friend with uh, with my head coach, uh, Coach Art Reichel, uh, and we always knew he was watching. And it was funny how we all seemed to practice a little harder when he was in the stands, you know. Uh, but even though he liked to talk about baseball uh, from our conversations were generally usually centered on family, uh, his experiences, his former players, his life, his faith. And, you know, I found solace with him and I would ask him, I mean, I would go there lots of times to ask him uh, for advice on a variety of topics. And I can remember him telling me, Dan, it's not my place to give you advice. Uh, so he never told me what to do. And, um, but he had an uncanny way to deliver um, the questions that ultimately got me to the answer that I needed. Uh, and I've never met anyone that can do it the way he did it. Um, so I went there for answers. He told me he would never give me the answers. He'd give me the questions and eventually I would, it would get me to the answer. It's a unique skill that very few people possess, uh, and it was it was priceless. Uh, he was he was a gem of a person. You talk about what a great coach he was. You know, he was a better person, and you've heard that said by many people. And from one who was able to spend a lot of time with him, I can uh, affirm that uh, unequivocally. That's so cool. 
Uh, I, I've heard people say that his his philosophies might not translate to to college athletes today. You know, you hear the stories about teaching kids how to put their socks on and being clean shaven, and uh, I, don't, I mean, those are minor things. Things, but just the way he ran his program, that maybe today's athlete wouldn't abide to his style. What do you say to that? <laughs> Uh, well, of course, it's, it's pure speculation, but, uh, you know, I'll give coach the benefit of the doubt and say that he would have made the adjustments necessary to still create championship programs. Uh, and that doesn't mean that he would necessarily change what was important to him and what he valued as a coach or a person. I think what he would have recognized is that uh, people are, in fact, different uh, in many respects today. But bottom line is he would have found a way and worked very, very hard to find those individuals out there that would flourish under his tutelage. And, uh, and because of that, he would, he would make it work. That's why, uh, that's why he's the best. So, um, I, I, you know, as I watch college basketball today, another thing I noticed is I see coaches uh, very active on the sidelines, almost some coaches, like they have a joystick kind of directing traffic, do this, do that. And then you know, you watch Coach Wood and he'd, he'd sit there and kind of rely on his training. Uh, do, you, do you think that's, uh, I don't know, I guess, do you think coaches should follow more of the wooden way or is that just, you know, this is just where the basketball culture is and, and that's what we need from a college coach? Well, that's a good question, John. You know, obviously, you know, Coach had Kareem, he had Bill Walton, he had, he had some pretty darn good players. You know, so he could that just helps, kinda... yeah, that helps. But no, the reality is, uh, you know, he's noted for saying that they never scouted the other teams, you know, mm -hmm. that they were so focused on doing what they needed to do that if they executed in the manner in which they were taught that no one would beat them. And, uh, and of course that, that, uh, that held out to be, it would be true in, in, in many respects. Uh, I, you know, it, it's different now. Uh, everyone has a different style. I don't know how many coaches today, would feel comfortable just letting their players play. Uh, you know, most programs have multiple individuals that uh, that prepare for um, you know the next opponent. Um, you know, the, through video uh, analytics, whatever the case may be, it's it's obviously a much more sophisticated process now than it was when Coach Wooden was was in play, and uh, and maybe the simple way was was is the best way. Uh, but um, I, I, I don't know. I think, I think the day has passed where coaches would just sit there and let players play. Uh, way too much at stake in, in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, if you ask an athletic director what's, what keeps them up at night, most athletic directors would say it's managing expectations because there are so many stakeholders out there that expect something or want something from them. Uh, and coaches would, in many respects, say the same thing. You know, managing expectations can be very, very difficult. And the pressure that's put on them from all these stakeholders uh, can be significant. And they may not just feel so comfortable just sitting on the bench when so much is on the line. We have some listener questions to, to finish it off with. Ashley Armstrong asks, what is the most important skill that coaches admin need to be successful in this business? Uh, communication. Uh, I think that's, it's critical and uh, effective communication, uh, if you will, with, uh, with every constituent that's, that's involved. 
uh, in, in the program from, yeah, I talked about the stakeholders, you know, for, for coaches, for athletic administrators, the stakeholders are varied. And no matter what you do, you're not going to be able to appease all of those individuals all the time. So um, you need to be able to develop a, a effective communication um, skills so that you can engage with every one of those stakeholders. Uh, for example, athletic director, you're talking about administrators, you're talking, uh, you're talking about faculty, you're talking about campus staff, you're talking about your own staff, you're talking about coaches, student athletes, their families, alums, uh, former student athletes, um, the media, the NCAA, Pac-12 conference. Um, you know, all of those are stakeholders in, in, in that, that have um, that have a say in your program in some shape or form. And you are, you're accountable to them in, in many respects. And, uh, and so it's, it's difficult at, at times, as I indicated, to be able to, uh, to appease uh, all of them. And uh, the best way that you can maintain relationships and still be able to run your program is by effectively communicating who you are um, what your program is all about, what's, what's of, of value uh, to you as an organization, and uh, maintain consistency with that. Cool. And we got one more from Ashley, a tough one for you. Uh, she says you're a, a huge music guy. What would be your walkout song? And Or what is your go-to song when you need a little pick-me-up? Wow. Ashley's throwing some heavyweights at yeah. me. You know, I mean, Ashley knows that uh, that I am really a music aficionado. I can go back to the classic rock of the late '60s and '70s to uh, to jazz fusion in, in the early '70s. Uh, the first one that came to mind was actually uh, "Love Supreme" by John Coltrane. That's not a, that's not a walkout song, but that's the song that I listen to for uh, for solitude, for peace, for enlightenment, and. Uh, and, and that's good. Walk, good walkout song would be uh, the uh, Paul Butterfield's Everything's Gonna Be All Right. Mm. Paul Butterfield Blues Band. I like that. Nice. Uh, Coltrane's a good pick. Uh, Billy would go with Dylan, so it's not like he, he would. Yeah. No, I'm good with that. We don't have I'm good, good walkout music. Yeah. Yeah, it's not really a walkout song, but it's, no, it's, good, it's good music. It's good music. That's what matters. All along the Watchtower. That might, that Ooh, might, that might be good. Go. Hendrix or Dylan? Both. Either yeah, one. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Uh, just have one more from another listener, Paula Rodriguez, um, <laughs> who my, if listeners know that's my wife and she grew up with your daughter uh, and their best friends growing up. Um, she asked, any advice for parents of athletes to aid in their development to, you know, for kids who want to compete in college and beyond? Well, you know, things have obviously changed over the course of years in terms of um, in terms of the participation of of youth in in, in sport. Uh, you know, the the AYSO teams in soccer, the Little League, uh, many other uh, community based leagues have gone by the wayside for travel teams, uh, club teams, uh, things of that nature, and you're seeing families make huge investments in, um, in those travel programs or club teams in large part to create a foundation 
that may ultimately lead to, uh, you know, the ability for that student to participate in college and even earn a scholarship. Um, you know, I, I would say that, you know, you allow a student to pursue their passion and expose them to as, as, as many uh, sports as, uh, as they're willing to participate in and that is safe to participate in while not compromising their academics because uh, getting being an all-star in the book league is a lot more important than being an all-star in little league if you will and um, i would just say that that uh, you know balance is important uh, as parents pursue um, sport opportunities for uh, for their their um, children uh, and not not go overboard and put all their eggs in the basket that if they don't make it in sports, uh, they're not gonna make it. Uh, I've seen that happen way too much where um, a student athlete comes to a university feeling the pressure that is put on them by external forces, including their families to quote, make it. Uh, and that, that's pretty tough and uh, don't like to see that. That's a good uh, message to finish it. And we're uh, really thankful for your time and sharing all that. And maybe B Billy can put uh, along the watchtower to go uh, take us out here. But uh, this is really funny. must be something out of here. the joker to who? To the joker to the There you go. There you go. All right. Hey, it's great talking to you guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me and, uh, and uh, wish you all well. All right. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Dan. Dan. Appreciate it. You bet. Bye-bye. All right. See ya. There must be some way out of here. Say the joker to the thief.